welcome to the seventh episode of In The Retreat. This is Danny. And my name is Nadia. And today we're going to be talking about fashion photography. Mm. It's a huge topic, but we first started thinking about it hearing on the passing of Peter Lindbergh on mm-hmm. the 3rd of September. And we started discussing all the iconic images that um, he's created over the last 20-odd years. Yeah. And the one I remember the most is the one that he took for Vogue, you know, which heralded the beginning of the supermodel era in the 1990s. Mm -hmm. So on the cover, there was Naomi Campbell, who hasn't aged a bit, Danny. That's kind of odd. Okay, (laughs) Um, I digress. Um, There's also Linda Evangelista, Tatiana Patitz, Christy Turlington, and Cindy Crawford. Yes, and they really heralded the era of the supermodel, um, of these luxurious glamazons who only got out of bed for a ton of money. (laughs) I think that quote came from Linda Evangelista. Yeah, but actually the images I remember the most or that really um, capture my imagination and my emotion come come from the collaboration that he did with uh, Ray Kawa Kubo for mm. Comte de Garçon. And Roland Barthes in Camera Lucida talks about this idea of the punctum. So this this point of the photograph that makes, um, creates emotion in the viewer. And I feel like his photographs, they are very well remembered for this idea of humanizing the model and bringing forth their humanity. So this one that I'm thinking about, it's the one with the sweater with holes okay featuring linda spearings in 1983 and it's got so much texture and it really kind of um, accentuates the idea of the the garments and the collection Mm. um, itself there's also this other very iconic image where there is a lot of movement where the models are um, by the beach and there is wind that is making the garments flow. So in comparison to the, the, the glamorous but humanistic approach for, of the supermodel images, these ones have so much texture and yeah. um, a slight movement. They're quite poetic. Yeah. I think I also like that they sort of seem to give you a window to the model's soul almost, you know? Yeah, that, that's what um, Kawakubo said as well. Wow. Okay, um, and I mean, the one with Linda Spearings, you know, she's kind of just looking at the camera, but there seems to be a rather heavy sadness to the image, and yeah. it really draws you in. So um, there's something about photographs' moods that I, I really enjoy, and I also think that it's always great when it seems to capture a moment, you know, like not posed, but just like a moment in yes. time. Um, that ephemeral quality, I think, is what makes a photograph great as well. Yeah. You know, it makes you feel like, wow, you know, if, if this photo wasn't there, it would just have been, have been you know, gone in the wind almost. Yeah. But on the other hand, there's also that different approach that some photographers take. For mm-hmm. example, the Tim Walker exhibition is going to open in the Victoria and Albert Museum soon. Right. Tim Walker, Wonderful Things, opening 21st September. Yeah. And I always find uh, photography exhibitions a bit challenging okay. uh, because they, they have to rely quite a lot on understanding the context mm. and sometimes knowing who the characters are. Mm. And so it's interesting to see how curators would, the curators of the VNA will propose this exhibition. Right. And I mean, Tim Walker's approach, as I was saying, is very, is very different. It's not only just a moment, but he builds sets and he creates this yes. fantastical um, uh, 
stories through his it photography, does. playing with scale, playing with props, playing yeah. with fairy tales. Yeah, and I mean, I, I love his photographs and I know that he does a lot of research and I've seen fashion spreads where he references, for instance, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory mm-hmm. or Alice in Wonderland. Um, and he kind of inserts fashion into these ready-made sets, right? You know, that come from, as you said, fairy tales. Yeah. Um, I also know that he likes to reference past photographers' work. So I've seen before photographs where he has referenced, like, you know, Edward Steichen's work, for instance. Mm. Um, so Edward Steichen was, of course, one of the very first fashion photographers, um, you know, back in the, I guess, the early 1900s, that's when he worked. Mm-hmm. So I'm really looking forward to seeing the Tim Walker exhibition. I happen to be in London the week it opens. Oh, wow. Very exciting. We must do a review then. We will. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, when we were talking about Tim Walker, we were also thinking about how fashion brands have harnessed the power of fashion photography to show their clothes to their best advantage. Yeah. And also sometimes this this merging of fashion photography and the clothing, it's I feel as I've been reading about it. Mm. For example, um, the work of Nick Knight with Isemiyaki and Yoji oh, yeah. Yamamoto. A lot of the times, the designers themselves say that the photo, the photographer brings out a different spirit and a different viewpoint of their collection. So, mm. these are photographs that are created after the garments have been made, and so it's almost like as a, a second creative encounter where they are looking at the clothes and trying to re-portray them through their eyes. Mm. And I find that very powerful because it's it's different when you are the designer and you're telling the fashion photographer okay, this is what the collection is, and, and then you work together from that theme. But when they're responding to the clothes and creating a new image, I feel that really talks about the form mm-hmm. and um, it brings the garments to a different place. Mm. Yeah, so it's like a collaboration of yeah. like equal standing. Yes. And not so much that the fashion designer dictates everything. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, last week we talked about pleats and yeah. <laughs> we're just now looking at an image of uh, pleats, please. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so much movement and colour in this image that we're looking at right now. There's like draping of orange, um, pink, yellow, reds, just a really dynamic kind of image. Yeah. Yeah. And I also feel like um, the fashion image as a fashion photograph has been very important in um, in print media obviously mm-hmm. and so we had um, in the 1960s when Diana Vreeland was at the helm mm-hmm. she was creating all these iconic images that kind of define our memory of the 1960s now and yet now we're moving towards a very digital experience and so the moving image has gained traction. Mm. But there still is so much power in these images that we're looking at from the 1990s and the 1980s of these photographers. Yeah, I guess because, you know, they've been ingrained, you know, in our minds as the, uh, the representative images, you know, of certain brands. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, one of the most... To me, one of my favourite sets of photographs of clothes would be the ones that um, Solver Sunsbo, the Norwegian photographer, oh, yeah. did of um, Alexander McQueen's yes. clothes for yeah. the Savage Beauty exhibition. Those are stunning. And and this is a new realm also because the fashion exhibition only really became something very 
big and heavily invested in in the last 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. So having to photograph garments for the catalogue, it's almost a new brief, right? Yeah, I would think so. Um, And I think, you know, when I look at the images that we find compelling, there seems to be this commonality, which is movement. Mm -hmm. Um, Because with the McQueen ones that he took, you know, you can kind of see like the the breadth and the you know the width of the the material used mm-hmm. um, it makes you stop in your tracks because it's not the way that I think people would um, it's not as static as it would be on a mannequin I guess mm-hmm. you know so short of having on a runway you know how do you I think capture movement how do you capture the embodiment of clothes or the relationship between fashion and the body uh, within a two-dimensional image I think that's the challenge of um, for fashion photographers and the best ones manage to capture that relationship between fashion and the body yeah. um, and oftentimes through the idea of movement and this set that you're talking about for the mm-hmm. for the exhibition it they were all shot in a plain background well they look like a grayish background mm-hmm. which it's it's really beautiful to think that in a decontextualized background without having to think of the set design that he, mm. that McQueen was known for yeah. or um, you know in editorial spreads where they will pick a particular architectural space to mm. place the garments in this this image is talking to you through um, like a vacuum no? yeah it is and it's interesting you bring that up because we were talking earlier about Tim Walker mm-hmm. and Tim Walker's photographs are notoriously just maximalist Yeah, lots of things going on lots of colour it's as if you have to almost look like a where's Wally kind of a, an idea right? where like yeah. you have to see where yeah. the clothes are where the uh, focal point should be <laughs> whereas for the Silverstone's bow one um, for McQueen yeah you're right it's just about the garments um, and I believe that he used live models, but they were almost pictured as mannequins. You Some know? of them are faceless. Right? Yeah, um, but they were not mannequins per se. It's yeah. just like they acted as mannequins. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something very powerful about that. So really letting the clothes shine um, and kind of suppressing all else as, like you said, a vacuum. Yeah. And I wonder what will be the way forward you know, for fashion photography because... You know, we were also talking about how, yes, it's been in print media that we see lots of um, fashion photography, but increasingly we see, you know, street style photography come through in Instagram or yeah. in, um, you know, publicized or published rather in um, major dailies, right? In fashion cities like New York Times, for instance. Yeah. Um, but then eventually they seem to kind of go into like, oh, you know, I'm going to publish a book and it's going to be you know, in, in a book form and it's going to be like a collection of images um, of the fashionable people that they have photographed. Yeah. I remember that my very first fashion photography book I bought for street style photography was the Satoralist one. Oh, yes. Yeah, and it was, I mean, when it was launched, it was just such a big thing. Yeah, and yeah. also when uh, Face Hunter, mm. Ivan Rodik was doing his blog and then he was traveling all over the world after yeah. that photographing different cities and he did quite a few cities in Southeast Asia as well yeah um, but of course they owe a debt to people like Bill Cunningham that's right so Bill Cunningham used to photograph um, street style and he would he would actually try to see trends right that yeah. was emerging just by observing what people were wearing on the streets yeah. um, and he did this for years and years did you watch his documentary yeah I did it's on Netflix now (laughs) well okay Um, if you don't know Bill Cunningham you have to and definitely compulsory watching on Netflix yes yeah (laughs) 
So I think what was really great about what he did was that he wouldn't just take photographs like, you know, these are fashionable people. He would actually tell a story through the visuals. Yeah. Um, and I remember in the documentary that people who laid out his photographs for me would get frustrated because he was very particular about how they were to be placed yeah. so that a story would emerge visually. Yeah, he was um, kind of an editor of sorts and mm. he was the one that I mentioned a few episodes earlier that um, turned the termed uh, Margiela's work de- as deconstructive, mm. deconstructive fashion because yeah. him photographing the clothing, he could see the seams and he could see all this construction and, and he was the first one before any fashion editors that um, recognized this fact. Yeah. And you could only get that kind of understanding. For, I mean, he had a love for clothing and he had a love for style and how people put together things. Yeah, And I quite like you know, the idea that we are looking at fashion photography from two ends. So, like, from the really high fashion end, where it's, you know, just really focused on how to tell the story, whereas we're also looking at, um, or at the same time, we're looking at how fashion photography also um, emerges from the streets, right, yes. in everyday sort of um, fashion. I'm also thinking about yet another one of these blocks, um, Advanced Style. Oh, yeah. Uh, by Ari Cohen. You know, and how he also had a book eventually, right? Advanced style, older and wiser. And this was about capturing um, the styles of um, older, fashionable people whom he would encounter on the streets. And I think, you know, it's really nice that we get these documentations. Yeah. um, Because it tells a more complete story about how we experience fashion. It is not something that is the remit of, you know, high fashion magazines like Vogue, for instance. But it is something that people practice on a daily um, in our daily lives, yeah. I mean, you and me, everyone listening in. Yeah. Um, and it's really nice to kind of see how, you know, it all helps to tell the story of how we express ourselves yeah. through fashion. But it's exactly that that I find makes fashion photography now a little bit hard to, how do you say, maybe to exhibit or to tell apart from each other because some people, the... Um, for example, the outfit of the days that we see on Instagram mm. have all be- have have all created a sort of look, okay. and then there are certain gestures and certain poses that we see a lot, mm. and we see some locations in the world, like for example, we've all seen the Santorini pictures okay. of people, of someone in their Greek vacation with like the blue sky and mm. those white um, images. And so we also do have a bit of a repetition of images. And so to stand out or to create punctum or to create um, evocation or to move people, it's still something that it's an art. And, and with the more, more images that we have, the more it is important or the, more, the, the harder it is to find this uh, provocation in an mm-hmm. image. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because... I think there has been quite a lot of provocation in terms of like who is photographed as well, mm-hmm. how they're depicted. Um, I don't know if you remember, I think in March it was, um, or earlier this year anyway, there was an image that um, Vogue, um, the American Vogue put up on its Instagram page of this Chinese model called Gao Qijun. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, apparently, you know, there were lots of Chinese netizens, um, <laughs> as we always seem to call them, Chinese netizens who were up in arms, you know, about how um, this was uglifying China. Oh, wow. How, yeah. Why did they say that? Actually, now that I'm saying this out loud, it seems almost as if, you know, it was the Chinese people who were discriminating against how this model looked. Mm. Um, but essentially, I mean, if I were to describe objectively what she looked like, um, she has 
um, white set eyes, um, she has a low nose bridge, you know, she has thin eyebrows. So it's not exactly, I think, the conventional beauty that we would consider or like, you know, if you think about the more popular Chinese um, models that are working today, um, it's not exactly how we would see them. And so there was this backlash, you know, about how um, American Vogue was trying to say something about how Chinese women weren't beautiful. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that was what American Vogue was trying to do. They were just seeing how, oh, you know, she has this singular beauty. I think these were the words that they used, that she had a singular beauty. Um, and it's really about an inclusiveness, you know, that may still not yet been embraced, yeah. you know, by, by these yeah. Chinese netizens. I think it, I need to look this up properly, but um, if I'm not wrong, there are some archetypes for beauty in ancient China. Okay. And they have to do with things like a pointy chin and... Have you heard of this Oh, before? yes. I mean, there are lots of products out there, you know, that promise you a V-shape. You know, <laughs> like if you apply the cream... Yeah, but, but it yeah, does come like, from in, from some ancient right. aesthetics... Um, in ancient China, like I think they're called the four beauties or eight beauties of Qin Huai. I need to look this up. Okay. But even in in Indian uh, culture, there are a few archetypes of the different types of women and their body shapes that right. and the type of beauty that they represent. So maybe these are also, as you said, leftover um, kind of. Um, propositions of what mm. is beautiful and right. what falls outside of that beauty. I guess you can also think about the idea of the golden ratio. Mm. Um, so the golden ratio, I think, is based on... Um, Symmetry, right? Yeah, you know, so it's sort of like something about the proportions of your face Yes. Um, based on five, about like 1.6, 1.618, where a beautiful person's face is supposedly about 1.6 times longer than it is wide. Yeah. It sounds really technical. Uh, yeah, and, and so we have, throughout history, in all cultures, we have had different artists, different philosophers thinking mm-hmm. about what is beauty and what mm-hmm. is beautiful and what uh, gives beauty. But at the same time, it's these anomalies in what is beautiful and the unexpected that also um, create pleasure in viewing. So, for example, yeah. looking at this image of this model, while not a traditional, beautiful, symmetrical image, it's it kind of creates something in the viewer as well. Yeah, and I think it's quite good in the how it democratizes, you know, notions of beauty. I mean, you know, with street style photography, I feel like that was democratizing fashion. Yes. And with, you know, pictures like this, I think it's great because, I mean, we can't keep on, I mean, beauty standards and what's fashionable, they change over time. And, you know, the fact that this article or this Instagram post was able to create a controversy, I think that's a good way forward as well, you know, to kind of be more inclusive in what's considered beautiful. Um, I don't know, I just think it's a great way forward. Yeah. Really. And it also reminds me of another great set of photographs that I've just seen by Daria Kobayashi Rich um, done for Rodarte she's an American photographer from California and she photographed this amazing set of photographs for um, Rodarte's latest campaign Mm -hmm. with these backdrops um, that really reminded me so much of Cecile (coughs) Beaton's portraits of um, Princess Margaret where there's this soft light and this um, 
built painted set. And these photographs uh, featured different personalities such as Yalitza Aparicio, who mm. was the indigenous actress that was in Roma. Okay. And seeing her in beautiful gowns and seeing her in the red carpet gave a lot of indigenous Mexican uh, women a lot of... They, they, they made them feel very proud mm. to be able to see themselves portrayed as beautiful and mm. strong. And instead of the usual archetypes of what beauty ideals are, I feel that in terms of indigenous representation, indigenous representation from South America, from any other parts of the world, it still has a bit of way to go. Mm, definitely. Mm. I'm just also thinking about, um, you know, like, when we think about all these photographs, that, you know, a lot of the times when we are doing our research, right, especially on what um, happened on the runways, like, in from the 70s, 80s, 90s, mm-hmm. 2000s, that we rely so heavily on runway photographs as well. I mean, yeah. because I don't think there's a lot of video documentation out there, um, but there are dedicated runway photographers so I mean the two of us we've been working on fashion photography archive we contribute to this thing which is on Bloomsbury Fashion Central Mm -hmm. and is under Valerie Steele yes Um, and I think what has been very interesting for me is looking at all these photographs that um, Niall McInerney so he's the one who took all the photographs that are now part of or the basis for fashion photography archive yeah um I wouldn't say that the photographs are of exceptional quality because some of them are quite blurred. Lo-fi. Yeah, lo-fi and of course like analog photography, right? And oftentimes, you know, it's quite a lot of detective work, isn't it? Yeah. So I've been writing on quite a number of Asian um, designers. Uh, So these are images that uh, McInerney took of specific Rami collections. So I've worked on like Yoji Yamamoto, Koji Tatsuno, uh, Hane Mori, mm-hmm. Vivian Tam, Anna Sui. Yeah. And it's really interesting to look at all these Rami photographs and try to figure out, you know, what the trend was at the time or like, you know, what was the designer trying to do. So in effect, fashion photographs beyond creating, you know, messages and aesthetic beauty are also sources of information. Yeah. Um, and they, are, they can form a really important archive for us to understand what happened way back when. Yeah. And as I was looking into runway fashion photography, I came across someone whom I didn't know about before mm-hmm. called Kim Weston Arnold. So she's a female fashion... Well, she's a female runway photographer. Um, and apparently over the past 30 years, you know, she has been an instrumental figure in how we see the runway because she's the one who decides oh. like, you know, at which moment to photograph yeah. the models coming down the runway. Do um, her photographs usually appear on Vogue? Yeah, I think she kind of is the the main photographer for many of these um, places where we look for fashion runway photographs. Uh, And yeah, you know, just in the end, we come back to how fashion photography is photography, right? And it has a point of view. Yes. Um, It can also be documentation. But um, even the documentation has comes a point with the point of view, of view yeah. yeah, which is of really what you think is important, or what do you think is the Absolutely. gesture? Or the, yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, you have another set of photographs that you wanted to talk about. Well, I just was thinking about images that I've seen in Singapore, and how a lot of them tend to do um, very avant-garde and minimalist image making such as Max Tan I really enjoy the photographs that he 
puts forth every season mm-hmm. and they tend to have this otherworldly and uh, androgynous style and of course when we did photographs for mashup we usually worked with this fashion photographer called Len Chai who's a good friend of ours mm-hmm. and now she's based in New York but at the beginning her photographs had this very soft feminine quality but now it feels like the more she travels out of Singapore the more she starts to incorporate things from her own culture mm. and she recently um, did this series of photographs um, of a lesbian Chinese wedding okay and they're going to be exhibited in a new exhibition that will open up in the in objectives gallery in October mm. and she's been dealing a lot with ideas of like I'm from of religion, femininity, Asianness, being Singaporean, and she this particular series also um, that we're looking at here. Right. Well, I recognize the model that you're showing here. Yeah. It's a uh, Mei Yue. Yeah. She's um, got a great look. Yeah, she does, and I think she's been in lots of like presentations and yeah, too. and also local ones. I know yeah. that she walked the stolen show for yeah. sure. So this particular series had red thread on it, and it had things to do with heritage and mm. memory and the threads that connect mm. memory and yeah. and so even through fashion photography she is able to express these ideas and that's really beautiful and it, it's a way to understand both herself and where fashion is where she is situated in a wider dialogue of fashion mm. yeah well I think we could talk forever about fashion photography. I yeah, mean, there's we could look at it from different ways and there are images coming up all the time. Yeah, and you know, I mean, one last thing that we haven't talked about is, of course, you know, recently there have been these reports about, for oh. instance, like Mario Testino and Bruce Weber yes. um, coming under fire, you know, for having harassed models. Yeah. Um, and one of the things I'm always struggling with is, do we then kind of diminish you know the the quality or like the the power of their photographs um for how Mm. these have come about i i really don't know yeah this is very difficult i mean there are some that i totally detest like i i've always hated terry richardson and i get so angry when people say that he's the one who owns this flash photography look yes but um you're right there there might be others who other photographers that have created amazing works and have fallen out of grace and mm. that's a difficult thing to to think about but as, a, as we were talking earlier also this idea of um, the intimacy between the fashion photographer mm. and the model I feel is something that has its roots also in photographers like David Bailey who right. are known for their personal relationships with their models like Jean Shrimpton yeah, yeah Jean, Jean Shrimpton and it's only because of that intimacy, that closeness, that he was able to take certain types of photographs. And that mm. kind of has a lineage on why there are these obstructions of personal and mm. professional space. Or maybe right. just predatory behavior. Predatory behavior, yeah. I mean, it sounds as if, like, you know, there's this um, idea that if you are a fashion photographer, you are allowed, you know, to behave in certain ways. Um, but it just doesn't fly anymore. Mm. Um, in recent times and maybe that's a good thing I, I think no I it's mean, great <laughs> yeah right because you don't need that to be creative or to create good work I mean there have been plenty of other photographers who haven't had to do that um, some of whom we've talked about in this episode like of course um, Peter Lindbergh yes um, who started us thinking about fashion photography in general and of course Bill Cunningham right yeah. he's just um, so loved so loved yes yeah. and it really comes through also in the documentary mm-hmm. why that is 
Well, lots to think about. Um, and on that note, thank you so much for tuning in to In The Vitrine. If you like what you hear, please subscribe um, to us on iTunes or Spotify or SoundCloud. And do follow us on Instagram. We put up all the images or as many of the images <laughs> as we can um, that we talk about during our episodes. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.